Hey everyone, and welcome to the Data Center Frontier Show. I'm Rich Miller, the editor of Data Center Frontier. Today, we'll be talking about the intersection of cutting edge technology and data center infrastructure and design. Our guest is Greg Stover from Vertiv, who works closely with the leading companies in Silicon Valley to understand what's in the pipeline for data center infrastructure and how Vertiv and other companies in the industry can prepare for it. We'll talk a lot about processors and what's going on there, including the impact on data center cooling, which in this case is likely to mean more liquid cooling in the future. Here's our conversation with Greg Stover from Vertiv. Greg, uh, welcome to the Data Center Frontier Show. Oh, thanks for having me, Rich. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. And before we jump in, I just want to thank you for uh, your great journalism. Source of truth these days can be difficult, and uh, you're my first place to go for all the information that uh, um, you, you just do a great job covering our ecosystem. So thank you. Well, well uh, thank you for saying that. As you know, I'm having a blast doing it. You have an interesting vantage point for a lot of that. Most of our, our listeners will, will know Vertiv. Uh, they have a long history in the data center business, but uh, give us a, a quick overview of uh, where Vertiv's at now and what you do for, for Vertiv. So, so we, we like to call Vertiv a $5 billion startup. You know, we're, we're a spin out from Emerson and Platinum Equity. We've got a couple of, you know, significant brands people recognize like Liebert and Avocent and Geist and Albert um, and NetSure and whatnot. And, you know, we've been spending our, our time as a public company. We're approaching three years now trying to bring the strengths of all those brands together to, uh, you know, help enable and leverage infrastructure across the, across the globe. As far as my specific role, I, I've been in it about 24 months. Um, we kind of created it. I'm global director of high tech development. What does that mean? I'm actually calling on the disruptors. So when I was in my previous role calling on multi-tent data center operators, I started seeing equipment showing up in environments that had different power requirements, different cooling requirements, um, was literally challenging our traditional infrastructure designs. And, you know, like most big companies, our NT, NDPI process is like two years to get a product out. So we started thinking maybe we need to get farther up the food chain and not see these things when they show up on a, on a, a sh shipping floor. Um, so I've been calling on the chip guys, right? It, it pretty much all starts there, right? With what they're going to be designing. Um, and, and that's kind of actually led to me starting to call on the, the OEMs that are buying these, what I would call disruptive chips. Um, so it's been a very interesting role. I'm learning a lot of stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're the guys that are kind of setting the tone for what we're all going to be reacting to in terms of what applications are requiring. And, and it's a pretty fun space to be in right now. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Uh, every call I'm on, I'm, I'm, everybody's always smarter. There are all these PhDs. I mean, some of our, our, our chip companies in America, it's just uh, it's so pleasant to see how sharp and bright um, all of these teams are at the different chip manufacturers. It's pretty cool. So this is a really interesting time to be sort of assessing the state of silicon yeah. and what's happening in, in the chip industry. For many years, it was just, you know, Intel and what brand of Intel you'd like right now. Yeah. There's a lot of competition. There's, uh, you know, AMD and NVIDIA, a number yeah. of startups. Yeah. And what seems to be driving a lot of the development is interest in particularly artificial intelligence and having more powerful chips 
Oh, what are you what are you hearing? Uh, and what do you think that these well, uh, without giving you NDA details, I will tell you, I will tell you, you know, our whole industry is at an inflection point. I mean, I grew up in a world where we built white space and we told IT guys what they could bring into it. And really, we were an expense, right? We 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 uh we did accounting and we did finance and we did reports for our organizations, and you know, the company begrudgingly gave us money to run our operation and build data centers. And, and today, um, you know, IT is a competitive advantage. It's a differentiator. It's speed to market. For many of our customers, it's actually data is their business. And because of that, you know, we're seeing a world now where that, like the application is driving and, and the value of that application to the business is driving um, what, what chip technologies will be needed to support that application, which will dictate what equipment is going to be required to support that chip technology which trickles down to the infrastructure that will support that. But the thing that we're seeing for sure is TDPs are coming up. So total design power of chips is coming up. I mean, a good example, and you know, there's a great ASHRAE chart, and I love that organization that has kind of where they see the transition from air cooling to liquid cooling, and it goes out to 600 watts. And somewhere in the 350, 400 watt range, they say that you know, this is where you might want to consider liquid. Well, last year, NVIDIA introduced a 500 watt chip Right, that was was the Grace chip, which was a hybrid uh, GPU CPU on, right. a, on the same board, and it, it came out with a new GPU that's 700 watts, so literally off the chart. And and I can tell you, all of the chip guys have designs um, because performance is the goal, and to get more performance, you need more power. Um, that are going to have chip designs that will require liquid cooling. As for example, I know later we can talk about that um, as we dig into this, but I, I'll also tell you. The ones I'm talking to will tell you they're trying to stay in air as long as they can, because whether it's 3 million data centers across the globe or 7 million, and I Googled it again just today, and I got like five different answers in terms of how many data centers across the planet. Um, there's a lot of data centers out there that already have connectivity, which is very obviously the, at the center of everything. you got to have connectivity. They have power. They have cooling capabilities, and they have security, and they have staffs to operate these places. So so, you know, all of them are looking at all the different liquid cooling technologies trying to figure out, but for the one thing I can say unequivocally, um, TDPs are going up and we as an infrastructure community are, are going to have to be able to enable that technology because our business line managers are going to be buying these solutions for their companies, whether we like it or not. The One of the interesting elements of this is that as we, I've been trying to track what's going on and like uh, artificial intelligence, and they're talking about really large, uh, massive data sets uh, and models uh, that really require lots more processing power. Uh, as this um, these hot chips uh, kind of start making their way into the data center, um, what do you think that transition looks like? You've worked with the service providers uh, yeah. as well as the hyperscalers. Uh, what does this look like on the data center end of this? Retail people are adopting AI. Healthcare people are adopting AI. I mean, I'm starting to see it, you know, show up and actually, you know, jet evolution for factories, right? They're developing AI. Um, I mean, the data centers that are getting created and crunch are insanely big. You know, NVIDIA's got, uh, you know, they're looking at modeling data centers, leveraging AI and putting together, you know, CFD technology with AI technology and being able to map out data centers and design it, you know, leveraging AR and VR and some crazy cool stuff. Um, I mean, I think the applications are going to be endless. 5G enables more use of AI and ML and IoT. You know, we're get, there's going to be applications we haven't even thought about yet, right? I mean, obviously now we're looking at what do we do now that can be improved by bringing these new technologies to bear. I think there's a lot of density deniers out there 
And I think it's going to be a trans, you know, it's going to, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a right. transition. I mean, think about how long it took to get everybody to fully adopt virtualization. It was a 10 to 12 year journey, even though it was a no brainer from day one. Right. And I think we're going to see the same kind of thing here. You know, we, we, we're going to have to be able to position our customers to, you know, to get their health, heck, air high density from, you know, most guys, anything over 20, they consider high density. So, you know, maybe 20 to 54 care kilowatts we help them with their their air journey um, but at the same time we're designing the ability to bring in limited and, and, and the quotes we're getting with few exceptions you know it's not for 50 megawatts of liquid cooling it's for one megawatt right, right? it might be immersion it might be liquid to the chip uh, you know here's we want to you know we want to put our toe into this water we want to see um, I see you know the cloud guys and the MTDCs are all looking at it in earnest now because they've got customers talking about that I think a lot of enterprises might start there their their high performance journey in the cloud, you know, and then when they see the business value, they'll probably look at, wow, I need to bring this out of the cloud because maybe it's too expensive or whatnot. All the all the other reasons for repatriation and and, and maybe having stuff on prem, it's happening. And you know, the easiest litmus test for me is, gosh, a year and a half ago we were seeing like one inquiry a quarter, you know, a year ago we were seeing one inquiry a month, you know, six months ago we were seeing maybe one inquiry a week. And I, I can say um, right now we're seeing three to five inquiries a week for, from different organizations wanting to understand what liquid cooling. And what also is very interesting about that is um, historically they've been driven strictly by the application requirement and the business right. need. But I'd say a third of the inquiries that we're getting now, including from enterprise, is their CEO has made a net zero commitment they're starting to figure out what that means. They're trying to figure out how do we get there. And obviously, you know, air cooling in in, in uh, the data center is a big piece of, of, of that energy spend. And so they're trying to understand like, A, can I bring this into my existing space? How do I do it? And B, what will be the sustainability impact for my organization? A year ago, I had three guys with sustainability title in my in my Outlook contacts. And I actually checked after we were together at... Uh, at uh, you know the last event, and I have fifty three now, so it's wow. it's pretty interesting. That's wild, and and the sustainability piece. It's interesting to hear discussion uh, from folks in the liquid cooling side of things about people looking that as a sustainability option. Nvidia has talked about that, yeah, with some of uh, some of its products. So let's talk about about you know liquid cooling adoption. We we had a, a lot of discussion about that. At uh, seven by twenty-four, yeah. you mentioned that most people ask for one megawatt in, in instead of fifty. Yeah. Uh, is that what the transition looks like? Is that everybody gets sort of proof of concepts or small installs going? Yeah, gradually yeah. grows. Yeah, I mean, in the in the HPC world, um, you know, they've been doing this for a long time, and it's a little bit different animal. It's been very easy for us to say, well, that's not me, right? And a lot of it's research work, and it's you know grant based, and you know, it's always on, always off, you know, and as in, 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 you know, in the enterprise world, it's quite a bit different, right? They're trying to understand, you know, what business, and again, it's back to what business problem can I solve? You know, right. what is the business problem I have? What is the technologies are going to require to solve that business problem? And then like the afterthought is, oh, I didn't realize my infrastructure requirements might be a little different. So we're, 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 we're in POC at a lot of different types of organizations right now with a variety of different technologies. We're in production in a couple, you know, what I would call early adopters, right? That, you know, we've, we've got some um, single phase immersion 
activities going on. You know, we're just now really getting into the, the liquid to the chip stuff. Um, you know, and we're, 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 our company is well poised because, you know, we introduced a CDU line, um, right. you know, last year and, and, uh, um, you know, obviously that supports rear doors, which will allow the customer to get to the higher densities. And if you, if you pipe it right and design it right, you know, at some point you can pull those rear doors off and throw manifolds in and put, 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 uh, put, uh, you know, different valves in and a couple filtration products because it, it, filtering will be different. And, and that same rack could become a liquid at a chip rack. So, you know, and, and again, I think the goal is what can we do short and medium term to leverage the data centers that have already been built with this technology? Yeah, and that's, uh, I think, been visible in a couple of announcements that we've seen lately is companies are thinking, you know, yeah, there's a long term in which maybe we think about at a facility level about how this works. But first, it's what's the uh, the practical uh you mentioned the business case before. People want to see this stuff uh, cost out and uh, and the, the use cases uh, uh, pan out. What, no, what's no question. Your... And, there, and there's a lot of learning to go there. And, and the other thing I will tell you, just on the implementations that we're doing, I mean, we still as an industry have a lot of work to do to train the ecosystem to be able to deploy and install and design these systems, um, commissioning, you know, getting all the commissioning agents up to speed, you know, every project we've done so far, it was, it, it felt like a one-off. Now, because we're doing repeated projects, we're developing best practices and best standards in, in creating, you know, commissioning scripts and being able to teach people what needs to be done um, to do that. And, uh, but, but it's a learning process, right? I mean, you, you know, that my dad used to always say, you don't know what you don't know until you find out. Uh, you mentioned a couple of different types. Are you seeing any sort of particular trends as we you know enter 2023 about what the the next uh, year is going to look like in in cooling and you know what is that maybe the one year and five year outlook for uh what data center uh, cooling infrastructure looks boy like? if i had the crystal ball we'd already make the <laughs> announcement but i'll tell you our posture is we're going to support them all because ultimately the the oems are going to decide what the winners are you know right. there's a lot of people building one-off products um I'd say for me personally, what we're seeing the most interest in is single phase immersion and single phase to the chip right now. Those two to be be the two that we're seeing the but but you know there's very compelling arguments for two phase immersion um, and there's very compelling argument for two phase to the cold plight. And I will tell you the chip guys are looking at them all right. They're gonna they're they're, they're gonna hedge their bets just like we are. I mean, as a manufacturer, obviously we love to find something that we can build a lot of. And, 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 but, uh, you know, the diversity of our market and, you know, look at our air product line, you know, back in the day, all we wanted to sell was cross. And today we have cross and indoor inros and, you know, evaporative and, and rooftop and, and, you know, every technology you can imagine. And certainly in a perfect world, that wasn't optimal and fan walls, but, you know, different environments and different applications required different technologies. And I think, I think for a while, you know, there's a zillion startups and there's a lot of, a lot of noise, certainly in the single phase. I think that cost of entry is, pretty inexpensive. So a lot of people are in that business. Um, I think for the next year, I think you'll see a lot of single phase adoption. I think you'll see um, um, some some um, um, single phase of the cold plate adoption, but make no mistake, us and others are all looking at the other technologies as well, you know, and trying to understand the pluses and minuses of each relative to the, the, the cost profile, the sustainability benefits, and, and, the, and, and the performance, because as chips goes up higher, some of the technologies will do better than others. 
right? right. And, and you, know, you look out five years and, and the chip roadmap is quite different than what we're seeing right now. And like I said, I, I feel like some of these guys have been holding it back because they're trying to stay in air as long as they can. Because candidly, a, a headwind for some of them potentially is the infrastructure doesn't exist to deploy their technology to all the people that want to use it. We, we've mentioned some of the use cases. Uh, when you get out into the longer sort of beyond a, a year, uh, there's so much discussion about the metaverse. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you hear folks talking about what sort of infrastructure they'll need for that? Or is this something where they're really waiting to see, uh, you know, what the, the actual implementations are going to look like and the business value is? I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we talked about that yesterday. I, I did a, I did a small presentation at Gardner on on our five trends, and actually, our fifth trend is five G meeting the metaverse at the edge, and kind of what does it mean? I don't know what the numbers are. Call it three gigawatts. Call it seven gigawatts. I've heard you know everybody whispers on the street. Um, I, I'm not personally involved with with Meta uh, for my company. But, um, you know, they're going to deploy a lot of infrastructure and they're building a lot of data centers to support Metaverse. You know, I think people that are, there's a lot of people that look at a social media and, you know, old school guys, oh, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, Facebook, yeah, I don't need that stuff. But, you know, when you look at what can be done with AR and VR and the ecosystems that Metaverse is going to be building that have real design impacts and collaboration impacts, I mean, it's not going to be just a gaming platform, right? It's going to be right. virtual everything and all the things that we can do. And, and, and I think it's gonna help build infrastructures that will create their own ecosystems, right? Like the cloud guys do. Oh my God, a cloud guy moves into a town and all of a sudden fiber explodes and you know all these other businesses come in. I think you're gonna see the same thing there. You know, I mean, I think the lessons will be, you know, modul modularity, you know, our, our number two trend was hyperscalers and, and others shop off the rack now. You know, five years ago, every one of them was so proud of, I'm going to do my unique design and we're going to build it ourselves. And But because of speed of uh, uh, speed to market, because of the um, build it and they will come, you know, risk profile of the Colo right. guys, you know, a lot of the Colo growth in the last two, three years has been bringing in the hyperscalers and, and a lot of what they've asked and what they're sharing with the world. And, you know, they teach us all about how to be more sustainable and how to use modular technologies and to build power skids and build e-mods and, you know, and, and all those things, you know, it's just, it trickles down to the whole ecosystem, right? And, you know, we're, we're building, you know, rapidly deployable modular data centers with all the technologies in it across the globe. And we're building, you know, little huts to support our DC power business that go on to remote, remote, uh, you know, cell towers and telco locations. So, I mean, there's no question that metaverse is going to be a big driver because it's going to build a lot of infrastructure and out there and it's going to create ecosystems around that. And then like 5G, there's going to be all these new applications that we haven't even thought of that will work. And companies are going to have to decide, do I want to rent, own, or buy right, right my, my, my edge, yeah. right? Am I going to build it and manage it? Or am I going to outsource it and op exit to somebody else? And you know, the jury's still out, right? The tower guys want to want it to be outsourced to them. The telcos want it to be outsourced to them. The colos that have a lot of footprint and want it outsourced to them. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But uh um, cl clearly metaverse and in and, and all of these technologies because you know AI and ML and you know all the data from I IOT it's very latency and intolerant yeah right you know and 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 backhaul costs money you know we build a data center ecosystem about content delivery right and now we got data flowing both ways and uh, so normalization of data 
closer to where it's being consumed and, and, and where it's being created, you know, and deciding what goes to the cloud and what gets dumped and what gets stored and what gets pushed to somewhere else and what gets acted on. It's going to have to happen right there. And, and, and you've published great articles and I've read again, you know, 20 to 50% of future compute is going to be not in a big data center. It's going to be at some version of the edge, right? It's interesting how there's uh, a real sort of segmentation when you get down to edge use cases. Yep. And in, in a way, a lot of people want to spend time defining what the edge is. But I think for a lot of these, in a lot of these discussions, the edge winds up being the perspective of the person who's sitting there and talking about, well, here's my definition. The, the reality is that there's a lot of definition. There's a lot of layers. Uh, there's a lot of different players. And I think it, it, it seems to me that uh, it'll be a lot like cloud where the use cases will wind up driving how people build relationships and yep. the providers they choose. Uh, and the same thing in, in an interesting way is, is seems to me to be true about the, the metaverse stuff. Yep. Um, Meta has a version uh, of the future that it sees and yep. it's building a ton of infrastructure to be ready for that. Yep. But if you look at what like Microsoft and particularly NVIDIA are talking yep. about yep. when they talk about VR and the metaverse, they're really focused on business applications Absolutely. and digital twins. Yeah, they look at the ecosystem and say, I can take this whole corner over here and, and own it, right? Yep. You know, I want to, and 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 they don't they don't look at like competition. They like a co-opetition, right? And how do we fit in yeah. this ecosystem? Because the reality is, a rising tide floats all boats, and if more people are adopting technology quicker, it benefits all of our ecosystem. You've mentioned a couple of the uh, predictions from uh, some predictions that that Vertiv put out for 2023. I think yep. they were released just last week. What else does Vertiv see on the horizon as as key issues for? Well, we've, we've talked about the, the thermal strategies needing to change. You know, we just talked about the five G meets the metaverse at the edge. You know, the other three that we, we we've kind of identified is you know, we're, we're keeping a close eye on data centers facing increased regulation. Yep. Um, you know, you look at what's happening in Ireland. You look at what's happening in Singapore. You look at you know recent you know, Ashburn announced you know Dominion Power is not sure they have in power. You know, you look at you look at um, Chandler, Arizona, and Chandler not wanting to offer water to data centers anymore. You know, I mean, power is becoming a scarce resource. Water, it depends on where you are, is is planet, across the planet. You can certainly call it a scarce resource, and I think. You know, I think our industry's done a tremendous job. The government was worried about power consumption of data centers back in the early 2000s. They, they commissioned that Department of Energy deal for, with LBNL. They, they, they ultimately led to the, you know, the chill off one and two, trying to figure out how to get more offense, uh, more, more, more efficiency and how to get more dense. And, uh, you know, back then they were saying data center global consumptions, you know, two to 4% could be as much as eight by 2020. You know, we've grown compute since then, 10, 12 years. I saw um, an old, um, OCP presentation from Stain Ball mm -hmm. at Intel. The number he threw on the slide deck on the, on the screen was 550% growth based in the last 10 years. Now he talked to Jensen at, at, at NVIDIA and he, he, you know, he said at GTC, you know, compute has grown a million X in 10 years. Now they're measuring different things, right. you know, what is useful compute, but the bottom line is we have grown our ecosystem unbelievably measurably. And because of PoE and great things that Christian Bellotti and all those groups did to get us focusing on power consumption, focusing on efficiency and doing it on our own without regulation, we were able to grow our business, whatever that X is the last 12 years. And we're still at three, 4%. Right. Now, 
there's another I read. Um, actually, it was uh, Zach Smith from um, Equinix. Equinix told me, yeah. you know, he shared some data with me when we did our panel at seven by 24 that, you know, there's 12,000 megawatts have been built in the last 10 years. And there's 12,000 more already in the pipeline, which means it's been, it's, you know, it's been ordered or asked for, right? So we're going to double the space again in the next 24 to 48 months. And, you know, when you look at the power challenges across the globe for all the variety and litany of reasons that they're being experienced, there's no question our industry is going to be more in the spotlight than ever. I think one thing that we really need to do, you and I talked about this, is, is we need to talk about all the good that we're doing with our technology as well. Um, you know, that simple analogy we talked about, I used to, between my wife and I, we probably went to the bank four times a week, 10 years ago. I haven't been in a bank branch in three years, right? <laughs> and you know, think about, so for us, 10 times a week, times how many million people, those are cars going to and from the bank. And, and that's, that's carbon that our technology offset, right? Yep. And so I think as an industry, we got to, you know, rally, we, we, you know, we have to commit to the sustainability goals. You know, we have to do all the right things. We have to reduce our carbon footprint. We got to do the circular economy thing. You know, we've got to leverage renewable energy sources, right? We, we got to look at how do we participate in a smart grid and generating our own power locally. Um, I mean, those are all things, you know, like the number three bullet was, you know, how can I get away from diesel generators? Well, it starts with energy storage, right? Yeah. You know, and then once you've done that, well, now maybe now I can re leverage renewables better. And once you've done that, maybe I can do generation of power at my site, which like if you want to build a new data center in Ireland is required, you got to bring your own power. Right. And people you know, are doing that. Yeah. And they're doing well, the technology exists to do it. And I think it's great because if we could become grid independent, you know, ultimately, if you can get, you know, Peter Pamphil's our, our thought leader on power and, you know, he's a, does great presentations, but. You know, we've got customers that, you know, that they want to be on their own power as their primary and, and, and leverage renewables and, and, and leverage fuel cells, you know, potentially hydrogen fuel cells. And, and the grid is their backup. So exciting times. Exciting times. And I think one of the things I like about the, uh, the data that you just shared is that that whole period between 2010 and like 2018, when we saw the data, on the energy use staying largely flat while the, and the business being conducted exploded. Uh, that's really a good uh, sort of example. And, and you're right, it's, a, it's very much an un undertold story. We've tried to get that, uh, share about that on uh, the whole megawatt story at, at, at Data Center Frontier. That's right. But uh, I think what it does show is that the amount of ingenuity and really smart people working hard uh, in this industry yeah. are able to move the needle on really big challenges fairly quickly and we're so blessed I mean startling uh, startling results yeah I mean I can trace back to 2010 to actually the chill off where Dean Nelson invited us yep. to come to that that event at Sun Micro and yes. the, the data center Paul said they're meeting at the same time Mark Teeley's group and and you know I met like everybody I know today I met that day and what struck me the most that day that's still true today is this industry's commitment to collaboration and to doing the right thing. And, you know, tech, tech, tech companies have had the benefit of having resources to take risks that maybe enterprises can't, but ultimately that risk comes back down to the enterprise environment when it works out. You know, what they never tell you is what they tried that didn't work, right? right. <laughs> you know, but, but uh, you know, you look at our ecosystem and what we've accomplished, it's an undertold story. We got to get better at it. 
you still have to look at what's going to happen to your business if, you, if you're not the ones dictating your future, because if the government gets involved, this could be very unpleasant, right? We, we need to continue to do what we're doing. And like I said, I, I'm so blessed. Um, the people I've met at companies like Intel and NVIDIA and AMD and Cisco, I mean, they're so, so smart. And the, and the list is so long. I, I don't want to diss anybody by not mentioning it, but you know, we've got, like you said, we've got unbelievably highly intelligent people that are committed to changing the world and they're doing it. Yeah, we always like to talk about what I call the data center journey. Uh, you're someone who seems to know everybody. You, you're you at conferences all the time. You're always traveling. You're, you're taking pictures, sharing them on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, it seems like you uh, really are enjoying all of this. Uh, tell me about uh, uh, where you're at and, and how you, how you, how, how I got here. Well, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think until the last three years, anybody actually went to college thinking they were going to be in data center business. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, today we're trying to create an ecosystem where that happens in, in infrastructure right. nations and seven by 24 and AFCOM and all of the organizations are, you know, cause we have a shortage of, of young talent and knowing what we do and what great jobs we have. Uh, to offer them, but I, I my, my long story short, my dad uh, was a bad liquor salesman, but he was a good football player and an alumnus. Brought him into a forest and wood products business to start a computer paper division because they thought this computer thing might get big, and that was in the seventies. And they were making green bar and blue bar, and all every digital output. If you wanted to have it be useful and have business leaders see it, it had to be printed. Right. right. And it had to be distributed. And my dad's like, you need to sell something that's consumable, this computer thing. I think it's going to be big, you know, get into the forms business. So I worked three summers in a form factory, which was a nightmare as the boss's son in a union factory. And I worked uh, an internship with a old UARCO business forms guy. And then when it came time to get out of school, I had the most awesome forms resume of ever of anybody. And I went to you know, Uarco Moore, Standard Register, because they all had great training programs and they saw my last name and they're like, are you Ron Stoverson? I'm like, yes, yeah, we can't hire you. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap. And I didn't want to work for my dad because I'd already been the boss's son at the union shop. So my dad says, hey, we're meeting with these guys. There's this new high-speed printer called the IBM 3800 and all the big enterprises are buying it. And, you know, we're developing special paper for it and we're meeting with guys that make toner for it because we, we we're trying to find out where they are because IBM's keeping it secret because it's big revenue for them. And uh, go meet these guys. So I literally came right out of college, went right to the Silicon Valley. I saw high-speed toner into all the big enterprises. I uh, was there for about seven, eight months. I got recruited out by a bigger company that also sold high-speed toner. And they also made tape racks. And I was like, okay, now I'm still in the data center, selling high-speed toner. Because back in the days, we didn't realize particulates was a problem in drives. Those printers were right in the data center, right? Right next to the bay frames. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we're bending steels. We said, well, hey, this 19-inch rack thing looks like it's going to get big. So we started selling those and then Avocent came to us and said, hey, you know, racks are going to get replaced by our KVM technology. You know, why don't you hedge your bets and start selling, you know, digital KVM, which was huge. I mean, we had four years where, you know, they had like 67% of the enterprise customers on the planet using, you know, Avocent's DS KVM technology. And ultimately, Avocent got bought by Emerson, which right. exposed me to the world of Liebert and, and all the portfolio products that we have. And uh, I, I felt like I was a decent elephant hunter for 28 years, but I had a BB gun. I had to shoot people in the eye and then I had to knock the elephant over and everybody jumped on it, and kind of, you know, towed it down like, you know, you know, it was, it was like a Gulliver. And, and uh, 
I, I looked at Emerson and, you know, they told me we're going to change. We're going to spin out. There's going to be this furtive company. We're going to try to be act more like a startup. We're going to be a technology company that manufactures, you know, you, you're a pain in the butt customer. Why don't you come join us for this journey? And I thought, wow, I have an opportunity to get an elephant gun. In fact, actually have all the guns, right? And uh, so seven years ago, I came here and, uh, you know, we, we've uh, had a, a good ride. I've, I've enjoyed what Rob Johnson and the team has led us to this far. Most of the goals we set out for were met. Um, obviously, none of us predicted uh, um, the pandemic and the impacts of the global supply chain. But, you know, and we're very frustrated by the you know, $4.7 billion publicly known, you know, backlog. Our customers are frustrated, our people are frustrated, but, you know, I take great solace in that number because it tells me people want what we have right. and, and that we're designing the right products and, and we have great relationships with our customer base and together all of us are going to get through this crazy time. You know, I spent a lot of time just talking to young people like the last two years is not normal. Hang in there. Things will get better. The world's, the world will, you know, normal, you know, if we go through these cycles, we'll get back to more normal stuff. But to your point, Rich, I love this business. You know, I love seeing you at the shows. I mean, I think we're a very blessed ecosystem with people that care. We're very blessed people. Uh, people move around a lot because of that. There's not a lot of bridge burning that goes on. You know, there's other verticals where, you know, once you leave a company, they never talk to you again. Right. right? And and we're, we're in an ecosystem. We're more like professional athletes. Eight to five, you do your job. And if it's to knock that guy down, you knock him down. And 505, we all go to the bar together. So I, I, I enjoy that part of our business very much. Well, I think that's a great note to end on, Greg. I very much appreciate your time and, and sharing your expertise with our audience. Uh, and uh, best of luck going forward. And uh, Thanks so much, Rich. And, and again, thank you for what you do. Keep doing it. It's really appreciated by the ecosystem. Thank you. And thanks to our, our listeners for tuning in to the Data Center Frontier Show, where we tell the story of the data center industry one podcast at a time. Awesome. We'll, we'll be back again soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Data Center Frontier Show. You can find the show notes for this episode at datacenterfrontier.com slash podcast, including links to the resources Rich has mentioned. Be sure to subscribe to the Data Center Frontier Show at Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or where you find your podcasts. If you enjoyed this show, please tell your friends or share about it on your social channels. You can always find us on the web at datacenterfrontier.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time.